we've already had this morning. I'm excited about this culmination, celebration service for Disciple Now Weekend. Guys, y'all have a good weekend? How, all right. How many people on these first three rows have had less than eight hours sleep in the last two nights? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So we're going to have to keep everybody focused. I invite your attention to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. And as you're turning there, I'll give you a little background for the weekend. Uh, our students have been studying unity. They've been studying community. They've been studying togetherness. You'll see on their t-shirts, it simply says one word, together. And the idea is that God has designed us for relationships. God has designed us to be uh, interrelated, interdependent into one another's lives. And it is by God's design that we grow. And I think that we have done a great disservice to Christians in this modern era. We have, and I say we, church leadership has bought into this idea that you need to grow in Christ. And you say, well, pastor, that is a need. Absolutely it is. But here's where I think we've missed it. We have said you grow most in Christ by spending personal time with God. And we've invested quite a, a, a great, great deal of resource into writing resources for personal quiet time and investment in personal study. And I think some of that is born out of our mindset as North Americans. It's part of our mindset here in the West to say that individuals need to grow in Christ. That's true, but God's design is deeper than that. It's richer than that. It's fuller than that. God's design is for you to grow in community. God's design is for you to grow together with others. And that is messy. And that takes time. And that takes transparency. It takes a, a struggle of sacrifice with other people. And so as we think about this notion of growing together this morning, students, I really want this to be something that you hear. The messages you heard this weekend weren't about growing a stronger, closer youth group. They weren't messages about growing closer with your friends. They were a message that all of us need to hear this morning, that we as a body are designed by God to grow best when we live life together, when we invest in life together. Now, before we get to our text, let me just ask you a simple question. What comes to mind when you hear the word community? I would venture that most of you have different concepts. Some of you think of a neighborhood. Maybe you're thinking of your homeowners association. I don't want to go far down that rabbit trail because now some of you are thinking, you know, I haven't paid my homeowners dues yet. And now you're thinking about all kinds of other things. We'll reel it back in. When you think about community, do you think about friends and family? Do you think about society? Do you think about schools and churches and work? Maybe you think the word Pine Belt or Hattiesburg. You're thinking about a, a certain community. Well, a Christ-centered community is God's design for us. And so this morning from God's Word, really, again, trailing off of a weekend where our students have invested some thought in this idea of growing closer together, we need to see that it's God's design. Now, I, I want to share that with you from the very beginning. It is God's design. And we'll get to Ephesians. But in Genesis chapter 2, some of our Sunday school classes studied that this morning. Some of our, our life groups had a, a time there in Genesis 2. There, there's something unique written there. It said, it is not good for man to be alone. 
Do you realize the context that Adam is walking with God in the Garden of Eden? He is without sin. He, he is at that place before the fall where he has this intimate, unique relationship with God, and yet there was something missing. God said, it is not good for man to be, say it again with me, alone. And so God created for him a suitable helper. He created the woman. And so now they are in community together, man and woman. He created us with the purpose and the intention of relationships. He created you and me to live an interconnected, interdependent relationship, an, an intimate connection with other believers. Now, that may seem awkward to you to go, I, I don't know that I want people in my life at that level. I don't know that I want people in my business at that level. And maybe you've been standoffish. Maybe you've pushed people away and you've said, you know, I can come and sit and listen to sermons and worship and then move on into my life. I spend time with God on a daily basis, but I don't really need other believers. Well, my desire for today is that I would challenge your thinking in that from God's Word. That God's design for us and His desire for us is that we would live lives intimately connected with Him. In fact, we see it, I shared in Genesis 2, but we also see it in John chapter 17. In one of the last prayers that Jesus prayed, just before dying on the cross and then ascending again, rising again and ascending back to God the Father. He said this, my prayer is not for them alone, speaking of his apostles. He said, my prayer is also for those that will believe in me because of their message. And this is what I pray, that they may be one as you and I are one, Father, as I am in you and you are in me. God's desire and His design is oneness. He wants us to experience a oneness, a unity, a community together. And so uh, go to your notes for just a moment, then we'll read our text. We are adopted by God. We are also adopted into the family of God. And in today's individualistic, competitive culture, Christians feel somehow that spiritual life and growth is mainly through being alone with God. And I want to challenge that because God does love us individually, but He places us in relationships with other Christians. And growing faith happens best and primarily within community. As simple as I can say it, you need others to help you grow in your faith. I need others to help me grow in my faith. That may sound strange to you. We'll, we'll talk about it in a moment, but you know, there are times that I realize that as pastor, I get less of the body of Christ than many of you. You know why? Because there's a great fear. In fact, I read this this week. A pastor wrote these words very candidly. He said, I am afraid to confess my struggles. He said, if I confess my struggles, at best, I would lose the respect of my people. At worst, I would lose my job. He said, I'm almost fearful to let them know that I'm a sinner. Now, he knows it, and they know it. I know it about myself, and you know that about me. But there is this sense that somehow we, we guard ourselves and we put on a more public righteousness. We come to church and we smile and we clean up and the outside is fine and on the inside we have clay feet and we are broken and we desperately need the grace that we have sung about this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. I want us to look there together beginning in verse 1. Let's read 
the Word of God together. It'll be on the screen as well. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. I want you to see that. All of those things need to happen in the context of love. Let's keep going. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. May we pray together as we explore this great text of Scripture. Father, I pray that you would even now illuminate to our hearts truths regarding community, truths regarding your design for us and your desire for us and the gift that this community is to us. Help us, God, to follow after you together. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, most of you, even before you became Christians, had a sense of community. And most of you outside of your Christian faith have community. I bet, students, you've got friends that aren't Christians. Any of you have a friend that's not a Christian? Anybody? Any of you have a friend that's not a Christian? Anybody here? You have unique relationships with people that are outside the faith. So what makes this relationship different? What makes Christian community that we're talking about different than your rank-and-file friendships, than interactions that you have with a stranger in a coffee shop or that you have in a business dealing or you have that sits in your third period class. What, what makes the difference? I believe that there's one word, and I tried to emphasize it even as we read, it's the word love. All of those things that he says are essential aspects of grace or they are uh, essential elements that come out in the lives of believers in this matter of community, all of those things happen in the context of love. Now, over and over again, all throughout Scripture, we see that we are to love one another. That we would be recognized as a disciple of Jesus because of the love that we have for one another. That the way we treat one another is a reflection of our understanding of God's grace for us. We've received grace, so extend grace to others. And this, love, this word love is pretty unique because it, it, it's encompassing of so many things, and yet it's one word. I've used this example many, many different settings with you. I can say very, very plainly, I love all kinds of things. I love that song the choir sang. Anybody else? Man, I love the song that Scott and Don and Taylor sang, Death Was Arrested. I love the song that our praise team sang, the very thought that we are gracefully broken, but we stand before the Lord. But you know what else? I love my church family. Do you? I do. I love my wife. Do you? <laughs> that was different, wasn't it? That was like, that took a weird turn there, Pastor. But you understand what I mean when I say that. I love Mexican food. I love the mountains. My wife loves the beach. I love college football. I love deer hunting. You know that in context, every one of those things mean different things. But the kind of love that's described here is a love that only comes from Christ Jesus. It's agape. It's God 
love. It is a love that is unconditional. It is a love that is sacrificial. It is a love that is giving, not taking. You know, a lot of times when we say we love something, really what we're saying is we lust after that thing. I could have added in that list that I love ice cream. And that is not because I see the inherent beauty. Well, yes, it is. I just, I love ice cream. But it is more of a selfish thing than a giving thing. When you say that you love the lost, you're saying, I love people that don't yet know Christ because Christ loved them. And because Christ loved them, that love is shown through me to others who don't know. But in this context of community, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I need to love you all the more. Our relationship needs to grow in strength. And some of you kind of yawn and say, well, that, that's really not for me. And maybe you've not yet realized or recognized the importance and the value of what God has placed you in. But that's what I want us to talk about this morning. There are three very simple Uh, essential actions you need to see from this text. Number one, let's look together at this. We need to walk in the grace of unity. We need to walk in the grace of unity. Hear this. Christian community is not just a human endeavor. It's not something, well, I need to try harder to be nicer. That's not it. The text says that you need to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you are called. You are placed in Christ Jesus in community. It's not something you have to work toward. It's something that you have to accept by grace and walk in. You realize it. You see, if Christ is the head of this great body, then we are united in Christ. I do a lot of premarital counseling, and especially right now, tis the season, I guess. We're, we're heading toward wedding season. I've got five different couples that I'm walking with right now. And one of the things that I do is I always draw a picture, and I put uh, just very simply three circles, one in the top, one on each bottom corner, bride, groom, God. And I say to them, if you will make Christ Jesus the center of your life individually, Here's something unique. You will always be coming closer together. Always. I said this Wednesday night, we don't need to fight for and try to keep unity or create unity in the church. We just need to make sure we are not creating division in churches. You see, unity exists in Christ. Division happens when I am not allowing Christ to be the head of me. There's a fascinating disease that I read about years ago. It's really strange. You don't have to worry about it. I know there's some hypochondriacs in here that are going to say, well, I think I might have that after I mention it. I took a class in seminary. It was a diagnostic class. It was a a counseling class. And we had to read this diagnostic manual. And everybody started self-diagnosing themselves with every other disease. Some of you are probably that way. This disorder is called ciguatera. You you get it by eating uh, two or three kinds of very, very rare fish. Most of them are not even eaten here in the United States. Most of them are in Asia and other places. Ciguatera impacts neural impulses. And here's what happens. The brain sends a neural impulse for your left leg to move, and your right leg moves. 
The brain sends a signal for you to extend your arms and your arms withdraw. It's just a, a, an electrical impulse. I think sometimes the church has got ciguatera. I think the church gets to this place where Jesus says, go this way, and we go, I think we'll go this way. And when individuals start listening to their own design and their own focus, then that's where division happens. And if we are truly one body under the head, Christ, then we need each other. And the way that we do this is we walk in the grace of unity. All right? It is a grace that God's given us. I love this picture. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, Life Together. Very simply, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ which we must participate. In fact, Paul in this same chapter, a little later on, verse 15, says we need to grow up. He says, speaking the truth in love, we need to grow up into all aspects of Him who is the head even Christ. You see, all of the dimensions of interaction create a basic unity in our lives based on a common mission and a common love. When God saved me, He placed within me a deep hunger and a desire to know His Word and to walk in His will. And He began to show me the things that He loves and I began to love the things that He loves and hate and spurn the things that He hates, namely sin. And when I did that, and when you do that, all of a sudden we come together in an incredible connection. I don't have to know someone for very long. When I find out that they are a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a unique bond and connection. And that connection needs to deepen here in this church. If we're going to reach out to the community, if we're going to share the gospel with the world, then there must be unity on display right here, which means that we're walking in the grace of unity and we're expressing love to one another. Does that make sense to anyone here? Again, that's about like Scott's announcement. That's about three of you that are tracking with me. D does it make sense that God as the head would design it in such a way that we would come together under His headship and we would display love to the world? You see, the body of Christ, if people are going to see Christ, they'll see Him through His visible body, the church. Think about the powerful beginning of the church. Acts chapter 2. I won't read all of it, but listen to these words. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And there was a sense of awe and wonder. And they met every single day. They went house to house. And they saw thousands saved. And they, in fact, saw people added to the church every single day. To their number, those that were being saved. Think about this. This shared life is all bound up in one word there in Acts 2.42. It's the word fellowship. The breaking of bread around the Lord's table was an expression of fellowship. Prayer was an expression of fellowship. They didn't just pray. Sometimes we think, well, I just need to be a better prayer warrior. I need to do better in my quiet time. No, you need to pray with other people. That's where it really starts to get good. When we weep together, when we laugh together, when we seek God together, when we experience God together, that's when the uniqueness of this community begins to develop. I, I don't know about you, any, any of you uh, that have not been here on the last three, four, five Wednesday nights, um, God's doing something on Wednesday night in our church. Number one, we got a new cook. And if you've not been here, 
you need to go make reservations for this Wednesday night by noon tomorrow, right? Okay, just making sure we get that in for the ladies in the office. It's been incredible. The food is just off the charts, but the fellowship has been amazing. We've been focused on studying the Spirit-filled life and talking about spiritual gifts. And there's been this sense nobody wants to leave. People have asked questions and hung around. I'm driving Brother West crazy because choir starts right after our Bible study. And his choir members are hanging out and we're just dialoguing. There's a sense of fellowship. You know, there's health to that when Christians actually want to be together. Some of you come and you sit down and you put a little bubble around you and say, I hope nobody speaks to me. And you slip out as quickly as you can and you hope you leave unscathed. (laughs) That's not the design of God for you. He wants you to come here and be able to be transparent, to be known and fully loved anyway. You know, that's what the Christian experience really is. People know you warts and all and love you anyway. We desperately need that. And to experience that, we have to walk in the grace of the unity of God. Secondly, I want you to see this. Well, let me, let me just hang on. Let me camp out here for a minute because there's some expressions of grace I think it's appropriate for us to see. And, and we'll do them quickly. But right from the text, he says humility. It says that we need to be humble in those expressions of God's grace in our life. We, we need to be humble. God wants us to accept our identity of His grace. Not to think so highly of yourself. If there's humility in my life, it is because of God's grace. You see, otherwise I go, you know what? This church really needs me because of what I bring to the table. No, this church needs you because God designed it that way for you to be functioning in the body. And that's grace. Humility. And and C.S. Lewis was the one that said this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. In fact, I would say humility is not thinking of yourself at all, but thinking of others. Gentleness is another expression of grace. It's not weakness, but meekness. It's a picture of a, a, a horse that is powerful with a bit in its mouth. It's power under control. And we are to walk with a sense of gentleness. The Bible says that Moses was a meek man, yet demonstrated tremendous power. Jesus was meek and humble in heart. But we see in the life of Jesus a demonstration of great power. As they are coming to arrest him, he says, I am, and they fall as though dead. In this Greek language, the word is used for soothing medicine or a a wind, a soft wind. That wind can have tremendous power to generate energy. That horse has tremendous power, but it's power under control. Number three, another expression is patience. Patience, it means long-suffering, the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. Now, I I know many of you are very, very opinionated. You know why I know that? Because you are part of my people group. We Baptists are a peculiar tribe with serious opinion issues. Wouldn't you agree with you? Smile about that. It's true. Some of you had an opinion about me saying that. I wish he had not said that. You'll go to lunch and you'll fuss about that and that'll be your opinion. I get it. But patiently enduring with people means that I'm willing to think of their interest more than my own. That's all of us. I'm highly opinionated. In fact, I think everybody is entitled to an opinion, and mine's a good one, so I think you're entitled to it a lot of the time. But we need to patiently endure. When somebody gets on your last note, students, let me speak to you for a minute. 
Y'all talk about unity and community. When somebody gets on your absolute last nerve, Jesus would want you to love them with patience and gentleness and humility. He would want you to encourage them along the way. He would not want you to cut them off and create a clique and talk about them. Now, I know those are just teenage issues, so you didn't need to hear that, did you? Hello. We as adults do the same thing. We create cliques and we push people aside. Well, we need to be forbearing. That's the next word there in our text. He says that you need to forbear with people. Bearing with one another in love means beyond patience, helping to bear one another's burdens through prayer and fellowship and even practical assistance. Visited a church member last night. She's in her early 80s and she's having surgery this week. And she and her husband are in desperate need of our church coming alongside them and bringing some meals and ministering to them. They need forbearance. They need love and patience. We need to help them. You see, I I really believe this. Love that is not sacrificial is not biblical. Love in this romantic sense that, that's just because of what that other person or object brings to me really ultimately falls short of the kind of love that we need to have for one another. We need to love one another with a sacrificial love. Two more words very quickly. He says, do this with eagerness. I, I love the word eager. It's written in the continuous present tense. Think about this. When somebody buys a home, they realize that there's constant maintenance that needs to happen. Christian relationships are the same way. Our community will be messy, love people anyway. They will be ornery, love them anyway. People will be grumpy, be patient and forbearing with them anyway. People will do things that are sinful, but we need to restore them anyway. You see, all of this comes together and we create a culture of grace. All of this are are, are expressions of grace. If we're going to walk in grace, God's already given unity. We just need to make sure we don't mess it up. And we do that by walking in grace. Number two, very quickly, we worship God, the source and foundation of unity. The source and foundation of unity. I I love this picture. Not all Christians agree on every matter of theology, but we better agree on the essentials and let Christ be the head. And we live in community because God is, uh, in His essence, existing in community. Let me show you. A couple of quick things. I know our time is fleeting. But if we're going to worship God and He is the source and the foundation of our unity, why does that happen? Because He Himself exists in community. God exists in community, Father, Son, and Spirit. Before He created anything, before He spoke out creation, God eternally exists in perfect harmony. And He created us in His image. So if God exists in community and we are created in His image, then we are created to live in, help me out, in community. We need each other. And ultimately, we need to do this. We need to welcome others into the community. We welcome others into the community. I gave you several examples there at the bottom of your notes that I really want you to invest time in. This is a, maybe a strange way to cut things off, but I want us to stop here. Where are you along this spectrum? Is the busyness of life keeping your relationships distant and casual? You you say, hello brother, hello sister, hi, how are you? Good to see you this morning, good to see you. And you sound like an autopilot broken record on the way through the halls of the church. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. And that's the depth of your relationship. 
If that's the case, then you're missing out on what God's design is for you. Keep going. Maybe there's a total immersion in friendships that are activity and happy-based. I'll do things with people as long as they just are are activity-based and keep me happy. Maybe there's a conscience avoidance of close relationships. Maybe you look at real community and you say it's too scary. It's too messy. It's too dangerous. I don't want to let people in. Maybe you've got a formal commitment to church activities, but there's no connection to people. You're here all the time, but you're disconnected on an island. Or maybe it's a one-way ministry-driven friendship where you're just always doing, and you need to slow down and let some other people into your life. Let me, let me share a quick thing with you. Well, I want to show you a, a very quick video, and we're going to go. But I want you to draw in close with me. Everybody look this way. Easter's coming up. Easter may very well be the single most important day in the church calendar, right? Everything rises and falls with the reality of the resurrection. I said this in many Sunday school classes this morning. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then nothing in life really matters. You can live however you want to because there's no real rule. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no accountability to God. There are other religious systems that say you might suggest trying to live this way or this way. But ultimately, if Jesus is not raised, nothing in life matters. But if Jesus Christ truly is resurrected from the dead and alive today and coming again, then nothing else matters. In the coming weeks, I'm going to ask you to be a part of community this way. I want you to welcome others to this community. There are invite guides like this at our Connect stations. I pass some of them out in Sunday school classes. I I want you to take these. It has the service times on it for three different services we're going to have. Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday morning. My request of you is that every one of you would pick up two or three or ten. You would pick a bunch of these up. Put them in your purse or in your car or your truck. And take them and give them to people. Invite someone to church. The statistics are alarming. The number of people that, by their own admission, don't go to church, who have said, if somebody would invite me, I would consider going. Take a look very quickly at the screens.
we're doing a three-part sermon series entitled, Come Alive. And I want to invite you to invite others to be a part of that. I want to encourage you to do that. Take these with you. Invite people. Now, students, let me speak to you for a moment. High, middle, high-end college students. Christianity is not a game. Christianity is real life. And, and I, I need to say something to them. Parents and grandparents, you may want to close your ears because I'm going to say something that might offend you. Some of you have not really believed or bought into this idea that Christ is the head of a unified body because you've not seen it at home. Hello. There are generations of people that don't come to church because they've been to church. And they see us fuss and feud and fight and give our opinions and we need to walk in the grace of unity. Amen? Is church worth inviting people to? It better be. My church family is incredible. I love you. I've watched you do amazing things in ministry for one another. Build one another up. Students, I want to ask you to be a part of this. This isn't just something for somebody else. Would you invite somebody to come? Maybe, just maybe, you would invite someone. This shares the story of the resurrection. Maybe, just maybe, they would trust Jesus Christ and come alive. Let's join together in singing a hymn of decision this morning. Maybe there's something relationally that's wrong and you need to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness. That person may not be here today. Maybe you need to make a phone call or write a letter this week. You need to take action to make a relationship right. Maybe that person's sitting right next to you and they're in your own home and your relationship has not been what it was supposed to be. You've not walked in unity. Let's be unified in the grace of Jesus as the head of this body and walk in a manner that's worthy of what he has called us into. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for this time. Let your people um, respond this morning obediently in Jesus' name. Amen.